Hello again. Welcome back to Luxi, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the science behind luxury items. I'm Dr. Lex, PhD, infectious disease expert and jewelry lover, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Demos Katsis, also a PhD, electrical engineer, and what else? Oh, uh, electrical engineer. Yeah, I said that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> What else? Uh, scientist. Sure. Rocket scientist. Yeah. Okay. Packaging engineer. All right. So we're continuing our theme of jewelry, but moving away from the metals and into the gems. I'm very excited about this shift in focus. It was uh, a brilliant idea. <laughs> our Instagram account has been following some amazing independent jewelers and uh, gemological societies which means it's full of sparkling gemstones and i for one really enjoy it uh, by the way you can follow us on instagram at lux Pod, uh, to see who we're following and showcasing there so i mentioned my grandmother's wedding ring set in our previous episode on platinum and it has some relevance here as well my engagement ring contains the center stone from my grandmother's rings ring One of the reasons I love it so much, aside from the strong sentimental value, is it's an unusual cut of diamond, at least for these modern times. Do you remember what kind of cut the ring is? A royal cut. (laughs) No, it's an old European cut diamond, which were prominent between 1890 and 1930. This cut is round and is a predecessor to the modern round brilliant cut. Apparently, the cut optimizes more for weight rather than optimizing for appearance, so they try to preserve the weight of the diamond. The old cut results in more dispersion of light within the diamond, referred to as the fire, as opposed to the modern brilliant cut, which results in more sparkle, apparently. But at the weight, at the loss of weight of the diamond. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know that it's actually a huge amount. I say apparently because it's been my experience that my engagement ring sparkles more than stones of a similar size. Um, Perhaps it's that fire that is a little bit different from the sparkle and thus catches the eye. It's something you don't see. It's rather um, unusual nowadays. You find them in older antique, especially Art Deco style rings. But regardless, I love my antique diamond, even with its little chip in it. Yeah, Yeah, it happens. (laughs) So prior to engagement rings, did you have much experience with diamonds? Yes, I did. I did some research on industrial diamonds, Mm. specifically zirconium-doped ceramics for high-temperature electronic systems. Oh, very interesting. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. So without further ado, here's a microbiologist and electrical engineer's take on the science of diamonds. May I start us off with a little background? Absolutely. Well, there is so much to talk about with diamonds, uh, from their geology and formation to their mining and cutting to the marketing that made them the de rigueur choice for engagement rings. We're not going to be able to cover everything in this podcast. So here's a bit of an overview. Diamonds are made of carbon, where the atoms are arranged in a crystal structure, most commonly a diamond cubit formed of unit cells stacked together. Diamond has the highest hardness and thermal conductivity of any natural material. Few impurities can exist within the rigid arrangement of carbon atoms in diamonds. The most common of these is replacing a carbon atom in the crystal lattice. 
and this results in colored diamonds. And colored diamonds are referred to as fancy diamonds within the gem world. So, do you know what color boron will make in a diamond? Hmm, blue. Correct. What about nitrogen? Yellow. Or a little bit of brown. Okay. You can also get brown from some other defects in the oh, diamond. Oh, champagne diamonds. Mm -hmm. mm. How about radiation exposure? Pink. Actually, green. Green, okay. Yeah, pink, orange, and red are made by what's called plastic deformation, which is the ability of a solid material to undergo permanent deformation, a non-reversible change of shape in response to applied forces. So if you hit a diamond with a sledgehammer, it might turn pink. Probably not. I or feel just break your sledge. It'll break your sledge. <laughs> Most natural diamonds are between 1 billion and 3.5 billion years old and were formed at depths of 150 to 250 kilometers. That's 93 to 155 miles. Mm. Below the surface of the earth in the earth's mantle. Diamonds form when carbon-containing fluids dissolve minerals under high pressure and temperature. Synthetic diamonds are made from high-purity carbon or hydrocarbon gases. Or it can be grown in metal oxide vapor deposition. Yes. Uh, diamonds are extremely rare. Concentrations of at most parts per billion occur in source rock. And a common misconception is that diamonds come from coal. Do you no. know that's not actually really true? So you can't press a piece of coal in a heavy-duty press until it turns into diamond? <laughs> Not necessarily. Well, maybe you can, but both most naturally occurring diamonds actually were formed from carbonate rocks or organic carbon in sediment, sediments and not in coal because most diamonds are, are older than the first land plants and coal is made from buried prehistoric plants. Mm, my sentiments exactly. So the 20th century is when gemologists developed the four C's to grade diamonds. Quality, seeds. cut, C. carrot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you spell quality. <laughs> cut, carrot, clarity? Mm-hmm. Okay. And? Cost? Yeah, well, that, that is <laughs> maybe more that's for the per purchaser C. than the seller. Uh, uh, no, color. What's the other? Color. Oh, color. So mass, which is the carrots, cut, uh, graded according to proportions, symmetry, and polish color, how close to white or colorless it is, or how intense the hue is in the case of the fancy diamonds. Clarity, how free from inclusions it is. And inclusions are any material that is entrapped inside a, a mineral during formation. So the mid-20th century is also when De Beers revived the American diamond market with some clever advertising and created new markets in countries where no diamond tradition had existed previously. However, evidence of diamonds being traded goes back as far as the 4th century BC in India, for among the very wealthiest of those societies. Gradually, those diamonds, through trade, found their way to Western Europe via Venice's medieval markets. By the 1400s, diamonds were fashionable accessories for the Europe's elite. In the 1700s, Brazil took over as the top diamond producer worldwide and remained so for the next 150 years. In the 1800s, explorers unearthed the first great South African diamond deposits and diamond demand broadened. And this really hinged on the 1866 discovery of the deposits in Kimberley, South Africa by Cecil Rhodes and the establishment of the De Beers mines. Since then, there have been deposits discovered in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the former USSR, Botswana, Australia and Canada and it's those mines in South Africa that really I think spurred that whole concept of blood diamonds oh yeah conflict diamonds conflict diamonds yeah so that's why it's important to have sources in places like Australia and Canada where you can 
um, have conflict-free diamonds. And then, of course, there's the whole really unfortunate history of colonization that Cecil Rhodes sort of started as well. Not the best of histories, really, when you think about it. Yes. But an excuse to have Brad Pitt in a movie. Was it Brad Pitt? The Conflict Diamond one? Blood well, Diamond. Was not, no, it was Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Got that one wrong. It's okay. All right. So what about industrial diamonds, Demos? Well, industrial diamonds are naturally found as the low quality diamond that you would rather not use, but you still need to make tools and devices such as saws that can cut through concrete. You know, I somehow feel like De Beers is going to make industrial diamonds fashionable at some point. You know, I think that's actually probably already happening because you see uses for diamonds that would otherwise have terrible color characteristics. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's an example of a diamond which is almost black. It's called Bort. Yeah, did you know that black diamonds are not actually black? Really? Yeah, so they just have a lot of dark inclusions in them that make them look really dark, but they're not black according to like actual color. My article Science. from Encyclopedia Britannica, oh. in fact, says the same thing. Oh, look, look, we got two sources. Yeah. We cross-referenced here. They're irregularly shaped diamond crystals, unsuited for gem purposes, even though I think they are. Yeah. Drilling of this type of diamond creates these small round stones. They can be used in drill bits. So you wouldn't think of these as the stones that you would think of like on as jewelry. Mm-hmm. They're just round pebbles, mm. but they're hard. Mm. And they, they make for a great drill bit. Crushing this low-grade diamond is done in a steel mortar with mm-hmm. abrasive grits of various sizes. And uh, apparently most of the world's crushing bort comes from Congo. Yeah. And many of those uses include Grinding wheels, mm-hmm. uh, cemented carbide metal cutting tools. You're essentially gluing a bunch of diamonds onto a metal blade, and you hope the diamonds do all the work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another place where loose grains are suspended are just in oil or water hmm. and can be poured over a material while you polish. You use oh. a polishing cloth. For example, I have a white diamond paste that I use for polishing glass. Hmm. I can actually get rid of chips Mm -hmm. and scratches in glass with diamond paste. Interesting. I have some of that in my toolbox. You have a lot of things in your toolbox. It's the biggest toolbox in the world. (laughs) It's called Uh, a shed. (laughs) (laughs) I have a few other applications for diamond, but did you have any more on your end? Uh, No, why don't you go ahead and do yours and then we can get into mine. All right. Well, um, the area that I did my work with diamonds uh, involved a lot more industrial and grown diamonds like Mm -hmm. zirconium. Mm. Um, The diamonds, when they're included into other materials, can provide a lot of strength. Mm -hmm. One of the problems we have with high temperature electronics, like electronics that go into rocket engines or into jet engines, is is that the electronic assemblies can fall or break Mm -hmm. apart. In the world of ceramics, we call it spalling where you can have a crack occur through the entire length of a ceramic package that holds together an electronic system. However, if you bake the ceramic with zirconium powder Hmm. mixed into the the crucible Mm -hmm. that you use to mix up your ceramic with, you can add a lot of strength and reduce or eliminate spalling by simply having that diamond material in there. Interesting. And I haven't really gotten into to the detail of why adding the zirconium. Uh, in the case of things like um, in, in glass, when we make Gorilla Glass, for mm-hmm. example, 
we do what we call an ion transplantation where we can dip glass in, in uh, sodium mm -hmm. or in potassium and the glass will change out the ions and take the larger ones and mm. the, the larger atoms will go into the glass material and change its strength properties. So for example, Gorilla Glass is 15 times more, more strengthy than regular. Strengthy. Scientific term, folks. Strengthy. You heard it you here You can take first. that one to the bank. <laughs> going to put it in our glossary at the end of the yeah. episode. So, uh, yeah, please add it. Um, <laughs> another thing that we do with diamonds, and I'm going to switch gears completely, is you can actually make transistors. Good really? old-fashioned transistors out of diamond. Well, it's true. Yes. Part of, uh, part of what I'll talk about is how good diamonds are at conducting electricity. Well, they are good at conducting tr uh, electricity along their edges. Mm -hmm. So diamonds are really good at creating edge uh, effects that you can put hydrogen or ox uh, OH groups mm -hmm. on the end of diamond. And that turns the diamond into a usable semiconductor, which means a conductor that you can control. Mm -hmm. It's either a conductor or not a conductor. Yes. It's a semiconductor. I know. I have that in my notes as well. Mm-hmm. That you can actually change the conductivity of Indeed. diamonds. Which is super powerful and quite quickly too. Yes. Diamonds have two capabilities. One, they can take the heat more yes. than anything else. But the other thing they can take that no other material can really take quite as well is high doses of radiation. Yeah, they just change color. They do. Apparently. They change color <laughs> and do have a slight shift in their electrical characteristics, but not enough to make them unusable unlike most other electrical mm. items. Um, in fact, one of the problems that we have with electrical components in a high radiation environment is they're essentially turned into other electrical materials. <laughs> and uh, it's find out what you want. <laughs> silicon turns into phosphorus under a heavy neutron and then bombardment. It, and then it burns green. Yeah, and it burns green. Wait, and that's, is that magnesium? Which one? <laughs> Doesn't make well, yeah. No, magnesium burns white. Okay, so it's phosphorus that yeah. burns green. So essentially, what happens is you turn your silicon into phosphorus, and now you don't have a silicon transistor anymore. <laughs> and last I checked, phosphorus doesn't make a good transistor. Okay. But anyway, another really cool thing that you can do is make uh, um, radio frequency power amplifiers with diamond transistors, and operating them up at frequencies like eighty-one thousand, eighty-one gigahertz. So what is the advantage of that? So first of all, what is a radio frequency Who's amplifier? Yeah. Well, radio frequency amplifiers are, for example, the things that we use to connect our uh, MacBook Pro to Wi-Fi. Okay. You need a radio amplifier to make a radio signal mm -hmm. that can beam energy to your Wi-Fi router and uh, get get information to your computer and back to whatever website like Spotify where you might be one of the places you download this podcast. Maybe. However, to get really a lot of data mm -hmm. moving quickly, mm -hmm. you need higher frequencies. Okay. Well, interestingly, we'll chat a little bit about how diamonds can be used in quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. So should we... Do you want to move over? Let's move over to you. Okay. Because I think that we are actually fairly tangential in our topics this time around. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So I found a really cool application called diamond thin films. And these can be potentially used as coding for implants, biomedical implants. 
Mm. So this is a paper by P.A. Nister and P.W. May in Interface, which is a Royal Society publication, and it's from 2017. And they noted that there's two properties that make diamond a good candidate for biomedical applications. One, it's inert, so it will have minimal immune response if used in the body. And two, its electrical conductivity can be altered in a controlled manner. So how do you get a thin film of diamonds? Because it doesn't really, when you think about diamonds, you're not thinking it's something you can make a very thin film of. Right. You can grow it. You have to grow it. Well, maybe. You can use chemical vapor deposition. Mm-hmm. That's a growth process. It's a coating process. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, the material to be coated is put in a vacuum chamber. Then the coating material, the diamond, is heated or the pressure around it is reduced until the material vaporizes. Which, again, you don't really think of a diamond being able to vaporize, but you can vaporize anything under the right conditions. Mm -hmm. Then in the vacuum chamber, the suspended material, the vaporized stuff, begins to settle onto the material you want coated. And you can adjust the temperature and duration uh, to control the thickness of the coating. It essentially condenses onto the material you want coated. There's a really great uh, MIT News article that explains this in, in a very nice way with a video for those of us that are not material scientists. And the link is will be in the show notes. And surprisingly, this isn't that expensive. The authors of the article quote that a plate of diamond, a centimeter squared, and a half a millimeter thick costs about $50, which, if you know anything about lab materials, is actually quite affordable. <laughs> There's not much you can buy for $50 these days. Especially not in a lab. So, interestingly, for a bio-inert material, diamonds form a surface that cells can adhere to, making it possible substrate for cell culture. There are, of course, limits to this, as there are limits to diamond's biocompatibility. So diamond nanoparticles have been shown to be toxic to aquatic life, and at very high concentrations, they can limit macrophages. And also diamond nanoparticles in diamond films have shown bactericidal properties. So they're not safe for all life. (laughs) Kind of like silver. Yeah, kind of like silver. The second advantage of controlling the electrical uh, conductivity is really cool. So I know you know this. Bits it was new for me, doping. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is um, not just for elite athletes. It's also the addition of tiny amounts of non carbon elements that act as electron donors or acceptors. And you can use this process to get a range of conductivity in diamonds from highly insulating to near metallic. Hmm. So that's a, it's a huge range. That's like basically nothing till a lot of a conductivity, right? The cool thing here is that you could have a cell-supporting structure, right? This thin film-coated coat of diamonds that will it, it cells will adhere to. So cells like to adhere to things. A lot of them do yeah. when they're growing. And then you can also allow electrical signals to be passed to and from the cells it's supporting. And this is very useful for research involving neurons. Oh, brain. Yeah, brain stuff. An additional advantage of diamond thin films is that they can be patterned so they have areas which can support cell growth and areas that cannot. So you can design a bunch of different experiments that way. Given the advantages of diamond nanoparticles or thin films, there's a range of biomedical application possibilities such as uh, coating, coating blood vessel stents, make them stronger yep, and yep. less reactive, artificial joint components, since diamond's super strong. Like imagine if your hip had a diamond coated... Yes. <laughs> And, and my research showed that indeed that was in this is replacing ceramics now mm-hmm. as, as a coating and product. then obviously there's neural implants too so if you can make a strong long-lasting relatively inert but still electrically conductive neural implant 
for things like Parkinson's, I think that could be a, a huge advancement in that field as well. From what I understand, one of the biggest problems with neural implants is, is they wear out quickly because mm-hmm. the body attacks them. Yeah. So another paper that I found in uh, Nano Letters. No, oh, that's a good one. I know. From the that's, Ameri- <laughs> it's a lot of fine print in that. Yeah. <laughs> Dad joke. <laughs> from the American Chemical Society, a team used a, a model of a quantum sensor using nitrogen vacancy centers in the diamond. So a quantum sensor detects variations in microgravity using the principles of quantum physics. And a nitrogen vacancy center is a point defect in a diamond. So it's basically the nearest neighbor pair of a nitrogen atom, and then there's a vacancy in the crystal lattice. And that's a point defect. And it's uh, photoluminescent. And the electron spin in that center can be manipulated uh, and and it can lead to shifts in the intensity of the photoluminescence and you can use that as a way to sense things or monitor things. It's also a unit for quantum computing as well, which I thought was super interesting. So you have to have an optical sensor then along with this diamond film that has these point defects? Yes, but you can also do a magnetic sensor, which is what they modeled in this paper. Ooh, okay. Because yeah. I immediately thought, oh, I'll just get a photomultiplier tube mm-hmm. and uh, coat it with uh, diamond material with nitrogen centers that have some dopes, dopant in it. Yeah, so they used a magnetic one for the one that they modeled, and they were able to um, see that the viral RNA from the COVID-19 virus could set off the center sensor, could interact with the sensor, and the model was successful showing the limit of detection as several um, hundred viral RNA companies, which is actually really low for um, detecting viral RNA. So could you just like use it as an air sensor then? Yeah, I don't. they didn't say in their paper what application that they were thinking of it. Um, they compared it to the real-time PCR, so I think they're actually thinking of it as a in-person oh, diagnostic. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be got done, but I thought it was really fascinating. When, you, when you're getting down into those quantum physics worlds, sort of a different universe. I think that promise of Theranos, uh, you know, of using a tiny amount <laughs> of a sample to really determine so many different ailments mm-hmm. is going to eventually happen you know it's potentially like nuclear fusion it's always just 20 years away yeah well yeah there's that <laughs> 10 years away maybe. so that's that's what i had did you have anything additional so can you imagine having some diamond light carbon coating under your skis mm, no thanks <laughs> it'd be like that um <laughs> <laughs> that great scene in uh, national lampoon's christmas yes. vacation <laughs> So what was that? Was a um, that was a spray cereal varnish, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. So how about our glossary for this episode? Okay, strengthiness. Strengthy, I think, is what you said. <laughs> um, plastic deformation. Do you remember that one? Yeah, that's when you can press on something and it changes shape. Yeah, non-reversible change of shape in response to applied uh, forces. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Not just pressure; it could be any force. How about inclusions? Oh, uh, little defects. Any mineral that is trapped, material that is trapped inside a mineral during formation. Okay. So it's not just any defect. Okay. Uh, Doping. That is where you have donors of electrons or donors that create vacancies of electrons in a lattice. Yeah, so maybe a slightly easier to understand definition is addition of tiny amounts of non-carbon elements 
that act as electron donors or acceptors. And a quantum sensor detects variations in microgravity using the principles of quantum physics. And a nitrogen vacancy center is a point defect in a diamond. It's a nitrogen paired with a vacant point in the lattice. Mm-hmm. Nitrogen vacancy center. I know. It sounds somehow medical. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like, you know, like a hotel. <laughs> I don't know what kind of hotel that would be. All right, so how, how about some fun facts? All right, a fun fact. Please. How old are most diamonds? Billion years old. A billion to 3.5 billion. That's pretty amazing. I know. Are diamonds made from coal? No. We're just reading the answers from my notes now. No, I remember it. They're made mostly from other carbon sources. Okay, you got these right the first time, so. Okay. How do you make a blue diamond? Oh boy, now I forgot. Uh, you had boron. Mm-hmm. How do you make a yellow diamond? Nitrogen? No, 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 no. You smack it. No, it's nitrogen. It's nitrogen. <laughs> smack it. Please don't go smacking the diamonds. They're very strong, but as my diamond from my engagement ring attests, they're not completely unbreakable. Yeah, yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls while you're at it. Thank you, TLC. <laughs> I hope you've explored, enjoyed exploring diamonds with Demos and me, and I hope you remember a little fact from this episode the next time you're at your next party, maybe when you're complimenting some, someone's diamond jewelry. Oh, gosh, yeah. And you go for a long time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Luxi. A very special thank you to my audio engineer and co-host, Demos. You're welcome. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood, Moon excuse me, by Birdie. We're on Twitter and Instagram at LuxiPod, and our website is luxi.podcastpage.io. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen. This episode, we ask that you follow us on Instagram for both some interesting science content and some beautiful jewelry content.